0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is late. It's 1119 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the ninth day of the second month of 2023. This is episode 669. Of Bitcoin and Twitter had some trouble yesterday. And what else is going on? Oh, the SEC is investigating Kraken. Tron is back in the news. Yes, I know. I get it. We'll get to some market stuff as normal. And uh, it looks like one of the stalwarts in the Bitcoin industry as the Bitcoin industry, not crypto industry, local Bitcoins is in the news as well. We'll get to that. Uh, Is there anything that I've got to do beforehand? I don't know, let's, well, let's look at some boostograms. And while I'm getting into that, I want to wish my very, very dear friend, Texas Slim safe travels. Don't, don't get, Australia, Slim, if you're listening, Australia is a country that hates you, not you, but people like human beings it, it hates people. Okay. It's one of the most dangerous places on earth. Everything wants to kill you. Kangaroos don't like you. Snakes are like the most deadly things on the face of the planet. And they're all apparently over there in Australia. Spiders. Have you seen some of the freaking spiders that exist on that continent? Be careful, dude. Be, be, be very, very careful. Um, yeah, I wish you safe travels. I wish you uh, good luck in your venture down there. I'm uh, hoping to hear some really, really good things while you're down there and when you come back. I, I don't know. Are you? Uh, I can't remember if he's going right over to Vietnam. I think that's where he's going uh, right after because that would be my guess. But whenever it is that you get home from your travels, give me a call and we'll set up a, an interview and it also it looks like i might be interviewing the creator of uh co, which is my favorite a desktop web client right now and i've just i'm i'm addicted just the way it's laid out so i think that's we're we're scheduling it for i believe wednesday of next week so uh, tune in for that one uh, but let's get to some Boostagrams from episode 668 20000 from Van Mann Jr. Wow, dude, keep the info coming. Yeah, i hoping to do that, dude. Fat Toshi with the Striper Boost. Interesting story about tax status of staking rewards. I remember hearing that fork coins were considered taxable income back in the day. Yeah, I remember that shit too. If fork coins are taxable, if yield is taxable, seems staking rewards should also be taxable. I hate staking though. So honestly, I don't care. (laughs) The whole notion of staking is just, it's, it's what we already have, guys. We already have the legacy financial system. I don't understand why we're wasting all this neural power to try to rebuild it digitally. It just, it doesn't make any sense. Fatoshi with 777SAT says, boom, baby. Nick underscore dose three hundred and sixty nine SAT says, "Cheers." And Fatoshi again, with one hundred and one SAT says, "Your wallet idea does not work. Once the transaction is broadcast, it's up to the nodes to relay it slash miners to build on it. Okay, yeah, to relay it, and then the miners to build on it. The wallet just reflects the state of the ledger. Yeah, yeah, i can I can see, I could definitely see that. However, shouldn't my wallet be able to tell me what is in the package that, well, no, you're right. Cause I'm not gonna see the package until it is broadcast to the network and then is included in a mind block. So yeah, that's, that's right. There's, yeah. See, you can be in Bitcoin for years and still not understand things that you thought you understood and it's you know honestly if that's you it's okay it really is i guarantee you there's shit about bitcoin that you know some of the oldest ogs don't even know how it works because they don't know that they don't know how it works see i was here i was thinking you know i just had this wild idea in my head that i could you know simply the wallet would simply tell me the incoming package but no that's impossible. <laughs> That's in fucking possible. So I appreciate that. Now, Twitter had some problems yesterday, didn't they? What was it? In case you didn't hear or if all you did was hear that Twitter had a problem and don't know exactly the parameters, well, our good friends at the BBC is going to tell us about it. James Clayton is the author. Twitter outage sees users told that they are over the daily tweet limit. Yeah, that some changes came down, pal. Account holders received a message saying you were over your daily limit for sending tweets. The outage tracking website DownDetector reported the glitch at just before 2200 GMT. That's Greenwich Mean Time. Elon Musk has slashed Twitter's workforce over the last few months since he acquired the platform last October for $44 billion. Last month, the Tesla and SpaceX boss said Twitter had about... 2,300 employees, which was down from around 8,000 when he took over. And for months, experts have been warning that such deep cuts could cause technical issues, though it's not yet clear if the reduced headcount was to blame for Wednesday's, Wednesday's outage. It appears part of the outage was soon fixed, with many users reporting that they could tweet again. Some reported being notified by uh, Twitter that they were over the 2,400 tweet per day limit, even if they had not posted on Wednesday. Account holders had also reported problems with Twitter messages. Several users said they could not access TweetDeck, a dashboard that can be used with Twitter, and that's the one that I, in fact, did use before I got booted off. It's not yet clear how many people were affected. Quote, Twitter may not be working as expected for some of you, sorry for the trouble. We're aware and working to get this fixed, end quote, Twitter said in a Twitter tweet. In recent weeks, many users have complained of bugs while using Twitter, including some claiming they could increase the reach of tweets if they locked their accounts. Tech news website, The Information, reported that Mr. Musk, (laughs) How British of them, (laughs) Elon. Elon had told Twitter employees to pause on new feature development, quote, in favor of maximizing system stability and robustness, especially with the Super Bowl coming up, end quote. Twitter also announced that users of its $8 a month subscription service in the US can now post longer tweets. Yay, Twitter blue subscribers can now post their garbage of up to 4,000 characters which is far more than the 280-character limit imposed on non-paying users. That's right, class warfare, pal. If you don't have a 4,000-character tweet, you are scum. Because, And even if that's not, even if that's not, not, not why they did it, that is, is, is exactly how it will end up being perceived by the people that actually still use fucking Twitter. Why? Because humans just, I don't know, I, I don't think we actually ever quite crawled out of the trees all the way. There's something about us that's still really, really primitive. Damn near prehistoric. But that's the way it's going to be perceived. Oh, you can't reply with over 280 characters. I I guarantee you this is the way it's going to happen. It's going to be that class warfare. It's going to be another way that blue checks can just lord it all over you know, the the regular plebs that don't want to pay eight bucks a month, but be that as it may. Quote, don't worry, Twitter is still Twitter, the company said in a lengthy tweet announcing the feature. Meanwhile, Down Detector also reported an outage at YouTube, which at its peak affected a reported 65,000 users. In a tweet, YouTube, which is owned by Google's parent company, Alphabet, said that it was investigating report or reports that the website's homepage is down for some of you. We're looking into it. Really sorry if you're experiencing this. Okay, so what they haven't done is they haven't gone over in this particular article the fact that Twitter is now imposing some other weird limits. Like uh, I saw something earlier today that said that there's, you know, if you're not a blue checker, you can only post, I think, 20 tweets in a day. Well hell, I'd burn through that in the first 5 minutes of Twitter usage. And then like only you can only post up four pictures or videos in a day. Again, the meme lords are going to have to find somewhere else to go. And I hope they come over to Noster. You, you know, I see, I see offender, uh, also known as Yella is one of my favorite guys ever on Twitter. I have several of them, but he's definitely in the, you know, the top I'm going to say the top 20 not because he's in the you know bottom rung but because there's at least 20 people that are I I am just I I love these guys. And is one of them. And he popped over to Noster one day and he's you know he set up his pub key and he did he did all the things. And he posted a couple of times and the last one that I saw him post is Yellow makes pictures. What am I supposed to do here? And he's referring to the fact that especially when he was on there was no real way so that you could actually just drop a picture like, you know, into your note, which is what we call tweeting in Noster. There was no real way to do it. You had to like go upload it to an image hosting site and then get the, you know, the address for that particular image off that site and then paste that into the note. Yeah, it's like, it's a pain in the ass. Again, Nostergram.co fixed that shit last night and and in fact allows you to do it and I don't know how I don't know how that the, that data is being curated, because when you think about that hundreds, of thousands, millions of users dropping like full blown JPEGs and GIFs and all manner of like you know visual information into these notes, where who's holding that? Does you know this is one of the questions I'm going to be asking the creator? Is like well, does that picture? go to like a server that, or not, does the picture go to a server and is held in its native state or is nostagram.co somehow leveraging like Imgur, and somehow or another making the entire process of getting a link and send get, doing this and, that, and getting it back and all that is just all behind the scenes so that as far as the user is concerned, you're just dragging over a pretty picture or a stupid meme or something and just dumping it into your note and firing it off because that's exactly what the user wants. That's exactly what, how, that's user experience to the nines, is being able to do something by dragging it or one click and getting into like a, a GIF menu and then being able to search for, I don't know, a pocket full of posies and see what comes up and then you dump that GIF in there. If you don't have that, if you're dependent on having to go to another website as a user, getting a link and then taking that link and getting it back. Nobody wants to do that. I I did that because I really wanted, I just, I don't mind doing that. I don't mind supporting Nostra as, you know, taken off. But most people, they don't want to do that. So kudos to Nostragram for making it that fucking seamless because that's exactly what how I see it. Now, CoinKite's got big news it has launched its flagship bitcoin hardware wallet cold card named q1 and it looks like a blackberry if you ever seen one of the old blackberries it looks exactly like the old blackberries except the case is a different color clearly but the keypad the first when i saw this thing the first thing i saw was holy shit, it's a blackberry and i it's i can't wait to get into this one it's written by nomsios and is published in BitcoinMagazine.com. Bitcoin hardware wallet company CoinKite is launching a new higher-end cold card featuring a full QWERTY keyboard, a larger LCD screen, and a QR code scanner on board. The cold card Q1 will also be battery powered, removing the need for connecting the device to a power outlet or a computer. Quote, we wanted to make a QWERTY device For fast pass phrase input with battery power, said Novak or NVK, as he told us at Bitcoin Magazine, we've been toying with the QR idea for years and we finally found a secure way of doing QR scanners. I'm very excited about this. We think this is the ultimate hardware wallet and there's a full-blown picture of it, which you can't see. And no, I'm not streaming this one to Twitch. Um, Not that you would know because you're not going to find out until you listen to it. This thing is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I, I'm i going to have to get one. I'm, I'm going to have to. Anyway, the cold card key one resembles ah, the historic BlackBerry. A gray stealth body encloses secure elements introduced with the Mark IV, which was launched last year. The new device also borrows other features from the Mark IV or MK 4 including NFC capability or compatibility, USB virtual disk mode, USB-C connector, activity LEDs for USB and SD card, and CPU speeds of 120 megahertz. The Q1 takes things a step further from the Mark IV, however, in adding a second SD card slot an LCD screen four times as big, the ability to use batteries for power, a QR code scanner with LED illumination so you can scan at night, and advanced scanning algorithms, and the huge 50-key QWERTY keyboard. It also includes a damn flashlight. The QR's or Q1's QR scanner sits at the top of the unit and is connected to the cold card internally using a two-wire serial port. According to CoinKite, This ensures there is less danger of scanned data doing more than it seems. Quote, your Bitcoin deposit address or other data is decoded by this dedicated module that is very good at reading QR codes in every lighting condition and also includes super bright LED to light up your mountaintop cave. Think highly optimized grocery store scanner, not cell phone cameras struggling to read a QR code per CoinKite docs. The new cold card Q1 is available for pre-sale and its launch date is yet to be determined. You gotta go see this thing. And if you don't, if you can't get to the Bitcoin Magazine pictures, just, you know, Google or whatever it is that you do, uh, cold card Q1, you'll see it. It's gorgeous. I want one. I'm gonna have to save up for it, I guess. Whatever. I don't even know how much the damn thing costs because it didn't cover it. But Kraken may have to pay a cost. The SEC is investigating Kraken over, yep, securities violations. Matt DeSalvo is writing it for Decrypt.co. The SEC is investigating San Francisco-based cryptocurrency exchange Kraken for violating securities laws, according to reports. Bloomberg reported Wednesday that the investigation was at an advanced stage and could lead to a settlement in coming days citing an unnamed person familiar with the matter. Kra- Kraken is a digital assets exchange which allows customers to buy and sell stuff like Bitcoin. It's the fourth largest exchange by daily volume, according to CoinGecko. Kraken declined to Cripp's request for comment. Yeah, they're not going to be able to comment until this shit's over. It isn't the first time the exchange has faced allegations of wrongdoing from federal authorities. Back in November, Kraken agreed to pay the U.S. Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Asset Control for apparent violations of sanctions against Iran. Its incoming CEO, Dave Ripley said in September that the exchange had no plans to delist any coins or tokens the SEC had labeled as securities. The SEC has cracked down on crypto exchanges recently. In January, it hit Genesis and Gemini with charges of offering unregistered securities as well. SEC's chairman, Gary Gensler, Claims that many cryptocurrencies, but not Bitcoin, are unregistered securities. A security is any investment tool used to raise capital in public and private markets. More than ever before, the body is trying to regulate the crypto space. Last year, it launched 30 crypto-related enforcement actions, up to 50% compared to 2021. Gensler has said that the world of crypto is significantly non-compliant and that clear laws already exist with the intention of protecting consumers, but more needs to be done to protect investors. US regulators are watching digital asset exchanges closely, especially after mega-firm FTX crashed last year. FTX was one of the biggest exchanges in the space, but blew up after, well, you know, I mean, come on, we don't have to get into all that stuff again. So we'll stop it right there. I failed to mention, this is, I think I failed to mention, this is decrypt.co. Oh yeah, I did say it, Matt DeSalvo is writing. I wanna make sure that I give proper attribution since I did not write these things myself. I do this show so that you don't have to read these things. Because honestly, if you're in a car and you're driving, you shouldn't be reading anything. You should be listening to shit, okay? Eyes on, on the road. UK court has ruled. <laughs> I hope you enjoy this as much as I'm going to. UK court rules. Craig Wright has no copyright claim on Bitcoin. BTC Casey, line us out, brother, from Bitcoin Magazine. A United Kingdom court has ruled against Craig Wright. R- remember, Craig will win all cases. Yeah, I remember that. I remember Calvin saying that. Yeah, whatever. Indicating that he has no copyright claim over Bitcoin's code at all. According to the Tuesday ruling, Wright's claim that the formatting of Bitcoin blocks is his intellectual property failed in the court of law due to the inability to demonstrate what is known as fixation. Fixation describes the ability to show the first recording of a piece of work which Wright could not do. Yeah, well, he ain't ain't able to do pretty much anything except plagiarism. This is the latest in a series of court rulings against Wright's favor, with the Norwegian courts ruling against him in the case against Hodlunot and the United Kingdom ruling against him in the case with Peter McCormick. For Bitcoin developers and open source code developers, the attacks by Craig Wright have been a moment of hesitancy and even fear. The litigation that ties up developers as a result of these lawsuits is incredibly expensive and creates major problems in the lives of developers. While funds have been put together before in order to support those who need it, Rulings that reinforce the idea that Bitcoin is not a copyrighted code with limited access set important precedent. It also serves as a reminder of Bitcoin's open source nature and reinforces the idea that anyone can contribute to its development without fear of legal repercussions. This ruling is a victory for open source developers in the Bitcoin community. Yeah, but BTC Casey, he's not going to stop. And apparently, you... I can't troll people like journalists and government officials on Twitter without getting kicked off and losing all of the access that I had since 2011. Yet this motherfucker can run around in different countries and sue anybody he wants to and lose every single time. And for some reason or another, there's not a sitting judge anywhere in the world that will tell him to stop or I will throw you in jail myself personally for contempt of court. Because a judge can do that. A judge cannot just arrest somebody on the street. But if you walk in or you waste a court's time or otherwise do something jacked up in a court of law, the presiding judge of that court has every right and every ability to hold your ass against your will in a fucking cell for contempt of that court. And not a single judge has done it. And I don't get it. Uh, of what value is it for any country's judicial system to allow bullshit like this to continuous, continuously abound. It never abates. He's never going to stop because he can just, he's got all the money he wants from his sugar daddy Calvin heir. And none of the courts in the world apparently have enough of a spine to throw this little son of a bitch in jail for a year for contempt of court. I don't know how long they can hold them, maybe not a year, but if enough judges just say no, and the fact that you sent a brief, that, that your name appears on a brief and you want us to waste your time, now this makes it my decision, you're already in contempt of court, I'm throwing you in jail. If enough judges did this, If somehow they would actually get their legal clerks to figure out a way to stop this kind of behavior, the judicial system worldwide would benefit from it. But to this date, nobody apparently can figure it out. You can threaten somebody in court continuously and multiple people, but you can't troll a journalist on Twitter. Isn't Isn't the world that we live in absolutely amazing? And it's going to get even better with AI. Brought to you by who? Who? Justin. Justin's son. (laughs) Tron launches a $100 million AI development fund. Oh, isn't that special? Decrypt staff apparently wrote this one all up for Decrypt.co. Smart contract blockchain Tron is leaning into the artificial intelligence revolution with the launch of a new $100 million AI development fund. The aim of the fund is to encourage developers to create applications on the Tron blockchain using emerging AI tools such as OpenAI's ChatGPT, both in the back end and front end of development. The move forms part of a wider push to integrate AI with the Tron blockchain. What could possibly go wrong? Earlier this week, Tron founder Justin Sun tweeted that the platform would provide an AI-oriented decentralized payment framework for chat GPT and open AI, incorporating Tron Oracle WinkLink uh, in combination with DeFi applications, Just and Sun. Uh, God, the narcissism, as well as AI integration and smart contract development and the Appen FT Marketplace. Oh, joy. Quote, by combining AI technology with the security and efficiency of blockchain, AI developers can maximize their potential. Sun tweeted, Tron's AI development fund will initially focus on four key areas. An AI service payment platform, an AI-infused Oracle, AI-informed investment management services, and AI-generated content. The integration of Tron's DeFi infrastructure with AI promises to enable, quote, self-learning, on-the-go, adaptable capabilities in all aspects of decentralized commerce, according to a Tron spokesperson, including the creation and development of smart contracts, payment layer protocols, AI payment gateways, and currency settlements. Tron aims to integrate AI-infused oracles with its Layer 1 blockchain, its data-focused Layer 2 blockchain, BitTorrent chain, and its decentralized BTFS file storage system. Here, Tron envisages AI-strengthening data-related tasks, including underlying calling SDKs and API communications, as well as automated adjustments for optimized user experiences and data transactions within decentralized applications. Investment management services within the Tron ecosystem will leverage AI to create more complex and intelligent trading algorithms. What could possibly go wrong? Perform real-time analysis of market trends, develop more advanced and dynamic trading strategies, and make more insightful investment decisions. AI will also be used to improve user safety by accurately predicting the direction of various assets, as well as the balance between user assets and liabilities, reducing the risk of default and improving the utilization rate of funds. Meanwhile, integrating AI tools into content generation is expected to increase efficiency and empower new use cases for NFTs on the Tron blockchain. On-the-go AI-powered user research will help keep creators and developers aware of market wants and needs. The utility of NFTs will be increased as AI is employed to develop new use cases for digital assets, which Tron anticipates. will spark widespread disruption across legacy industries. One idea highlighted by Tron founder Justin Sun is to create personalized nft assets for users by analyzing typed textual requirements or existing nft content <laughs> it's just ripoff I mean when you're making a, when you're when you're constructing a turd from other turds what would you get that's a second generation turd while these four areas are the primary focus of Tron's AI development fund the platform is actively seeking applications for grants funding from developers with other innovative use cases quote the hope of the initiative is that developers are inspired to use ai in current as well as future applications built on the tron blockchain said tron spokesperson and it's all bullshit. why is he doing this well because ai is the next big thing right we automatically understand that this is not good for humanity. So the smart money uh, is going to get in, and then at the, f- early set, at the earliest onset of any kind of trouble, they'll, they'll pull right back out. Except that short term in this case is fifty years. I'm sorry, guys. You're going to go to the grave before you see, before we probably see really, you know, anything like Skynet. And I know you're laughing at me. You, you, and I don't blame you. It, I reserve the right to be wrong. But I'm saying that where we are is not a good place for humanity. Uh, and this AI thing, which is not really artificial intelligence, there's, you know, intelligence means well. That's a loaded term, and the word artificial kind of is too, but not as loaded of a term as what intelligence, you know, represents. But you know, there was a, uh, another news article that I, I just saw the headline yesterday. It says uh, it was either Goldman Sachs or, or some dude from some other massive hedge fund like BlackRock was say, it was like, oh, these guys are getting, you know, we're getting out of, of uh, Bitcoin and crypto because we're going all in AI. Well, Justin Sun, because he lacks any ability to have extraordinary ideas on his own, is just following suit. And you're gonna see more of this. Oh yes, oh yes, you will. You thought Udi Wertheimer was bad. Wait till Udi Wertheimer's version of A, you know, the the AI version of Udi starts minting inscriptions on Bitcoin blockchain and, and the NFTs that will come out of that. This isn't over, it's just not. And it's not going to be over. Hell, I can't even figure out, you know, now I can't even figure out if a potential payment to me on Bitcoin, even over the Lightning Network, well, maybe on Lightning Network, I could figure out if there's an inscribed uh, coin that's trying to be sent to me, but I don't know. Not holding out hope. But right now, I'm just going to make the assumption that there's no way to tell whether or not I can tell the person that wants to pay me, uh, I'm not accepting this coin and certainly not accept, accepting it for anything over, then, you know, over what it's worth, which is exactly one Satoshi, right? One Satoshi is one Satoshi. That, that's it. I'm not giving you two Satoshis worth of value because your one Satoshi is inscribed with a fucking monkey JPEG. No, I'm not going to do it. And I, what I really do need is a tool to be able to, uh, to do that with. And I, I guess the real tool is somebody saying, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a hundred Satoshis for this. And I'm like, yeah, but my price is 200. Then it becomes clear that they're going to say what? Well, those are 100 inscri- you know, NFT inscribed tokens and they're worth at least two Satoshis a bit or a piece, in, in which case I say, fuck off. Go buy your shit somewhere else because I will never sell it to you. And the fact that you tried, I'm banning you for life from buying anything from me. Might I go into the poorhouse because of it? Yes, but at least I'll be able to sleep at night knowing that I was not part of the parties responsible for trying to destroy Bitcoin's fungibility. Let's run some numbers. CNBC Futures and Commodities got West Texas Intermediate down almost a full point, $77.71. Brent North Sea down over a full point, $84.16. Natural gas, hey, it actually is winning today, 0.79% to the upside, $2.41 per 1,000 cubic feet. And gasoline down almost a full point, $2.43. Metals are, well, mostly down and down kind of hard. Honestly, gold is off by a full point, uh, $1,872 and 30 cents. Silver is down just over two full points, $21 and 96 cents an ounce. Platinum, however, is down almost three full points. Copper is down. No, copper actually just ticked up, uh, Yeah, a point above. Yeah, 0.99%. Palladium, however, is down just over two full points. Ag is mixed. Biggest winner today, going to be sugar. One dollar, no, 1.32%. Biggest loser, looks like it's wheat. 1.21% to the downside. I got the Dow. It's down half a point. S&P is down half a point. NASDAQ down half a point. S&P mini, however, is down more. 0.86% 0.86% uh, to the downside, and screw all that noise. Bitcoin's at $21,973.17. Uh, looks like it's not the only, uh, gold isn't the only commodity that's taken a little bit of a bath today. 308,000 BTC sent in the last 24 hours. Got 0.86 BTC uh, of average transaction value, while the median transaction value 0.014 BTC, or right at 300 bucks. <coughs> block times are really, really low, nine minutes and four seconds. We've had 0.13 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, and 20.71 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours, with a 7.46 percent increase in hash rate. We are just a hair under 300 exahashes per second. Dogecoin taking it on the chin too, which means what? Yes, all your shit coins are taking a dive today. 0.08, no, I'm sorry, 8.2 United States pennies for your shitcoin indicator today. There are 13,931 transactions waiting on 52 blocks to clear. I know, I know, guys, just... I don't know what to do about it. It's outside of my realm of influence. $424 billion is the market cap Bitcoin has. That is 3.41% of gold's market cap. And we now may only purchase 11.8 ounces of the shiny metal rock with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,285,902.55 of and 5,000. 369.05 of those are in the lightning network now valued at 118 million dollars being run over 16,097 nodes sporting 76,403 payment channels that we know about and 68.7 percent of all that shit's being run over tor there's your vitals Welcome to part two. Of the news that you can use Reuters begins us with this one, uh, and this is a bad one. This this actually confirms my suspicion that I had heard uh, that I had because I heard a rumor yesterday or the day before. Britain's face a twenty thousand digital pound cap under Bank of England plan. Uh, Hugh Jones has it for Reuters. Britain's would be limited to 20,000 digital pounds or about $24,000 each if the country goes ahead with the digital currency, Bank of England Deputy Governor John Cunleaf said on Tuesday. Britain's government said on Monday that it and the BOE, Bank of England, were pressing on with work on a possible digital pound that was likely to enter circulation in the second half of this decade and be held in a quote-unquote wallet provided by the bank. Although no final decision has been made, quote, We propose a limit between 10,000 pounds and 20,000 pounds per individual as the appropriate balance between managing risks and supporting wide usability of the digital pound, Cunleaf said in a speech. I'm going to highlight that one and come back to it. A limit. Of 10,000 pounds would mean that three quarters of people could receive their pay in digital pounds as well as holding pre-existing balances in the same account. Oh, yay. While a 20,000 pound limit would allow almost everyone to use digital pounds for day-to-day transactions, Cunleaf said. Money above the cap would be swept into a customer's commercial bank account. Given that a digital pound would not be a means for storing wealth, he told members of UK Finance, a banking industry body. Ah, there we go. Okay, getting a little better, but no, no all this is draconian. But it's not as draconian as I actually thought. Still sucks swamp water, though. Quote, at the other end, you could say, I need a little wallet full of internet cash to buy things on Amazon, Cunleaf said. Central banks across the world are studying digital currencies because they hate every single one of their citizenry. No, that's actually not in the article. With the European Union due to publish a draft law in May, setting out the legal framework for a potential digital euro. The law would need to be approved by EU states and the European Parliament, although it will be the European Central Bank that decides this autumn on whether to proceed with the digital euro. Burkhard-Baltz, Executive board member of Germany's Bundesbank told a conference on Tuesday that a key aspect to be decided is whether a digital euro would have legal tender status, meaning it could be used to settle a debt in court. Cunleaf said the digital pound would have the same legal status as cash, and right now $1 US equals 83, or I'm sorry, 0.83 pounds sterling. All right. Uh, let's go to this first one. Uh, here we propose a limit of between 10,000 and 20,000 pounds per individual as the appropriate balance between managing risks and supporting wide usability of the digital pound. Okay. Now I'm starting to get it. Cause when you couple that with this one down here, what is it? Was it blah, 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 blah. Okay. Money above that cap would be swept into a customer's commercial bank account, given that a digital pound would not be a means for storing wealth, he told members of UK Finance and Banking Industry Body. Okay, those two taken together, here's the way that I see it. People will be able to use the digital pound, but they won't be able to carry around more than 20,000 or 10,000 pounds of it in their digital wallet because it's not an appropriate savings mechanism. Okay, like I said, from what I understood, and this is why you should take rumors with a grain of salt because the rumor was this, you're only going to be able to have 20,000 pounds in your bank. That is not what this is saying. I'm not for it. I'm not fucking defending it. Don't, don't say that I am. I'm not. There is nothing about this that is cool. There's nothing about this that is even necessary in today's world. We don't need this. This if this happens to the European Union, it's going to be a mess. How are my, this the whole word? It's an appro- We find it appropriate. Okay. Well, what are you going to find appropriate next year? What's going to be inappropriate? Who gets to define this shit? Well, clearly, men in and women in suits get to decide this for you the British citizen, and honestly, for anybody that was dumb enough to enter into the EU. That was just fucking stupid. It just was. Yeah, I know. Well, America, the United States, same way. Well, not, not, not from the inception. Not from, not from inception, because that was the way that the country was built. It was built that way. The EU basically sucked all the wealth from European countries that had been around for, you know, millennia in some cases, or at least the, the, the people and swept it all up into one gigantic bank because that's what it was. It wasn't to govern these people in a uniform manner. No, it had everything to do with finance. That's the whole reason this shit was done in the first place. And any of the member states of the EU that said, you know what, we're just going, you know, take France, a wonderful, long and storied history reaching back, you know, at least over a thousand years of the Gauls, right? Before France was, you know, France was France, it was the Gallic, you know, or, or the Gaul Empire or whatever, they were called Gauls. And then Rome came over and decided that they wanted to take it. And then they, you know, Roman empire fell and then the French came back and now it's France. And then, you know, they're fighting with England and they have their own history and their own, you know, cuisine and their own music and their own art. And it's rich and storied and deep. It's a deep culture. And it's basically being blown away like all the rest of the European countries, they're all losing their national identity. And that's what a cross border regional money that isn't a good money will do to your ass. The Euro is a shit piece of money. It's like the United States dollar. The dollar happens to be the least shitty of the shit fiat coins that are out there. But be that as it may, it's still a fiat shit coin. These things, when, when, it turn, when money turns bad, if that money reaches across borders, it will suck the life out of any nationality that it can find. It will destroy their history. It will rewrite their history. It'll do all manner of shit that you don't want done. And it's worse. It's worse in ways that I can't even fathom, much less be able to impart to you using the English language. You know, if I knew how to speak German, I'd probably be able to make a good go at it because German is a language that you want to argue, you want to, when you want to yell and you want to be scary about it, use German. That's what I always say. Now, pouch.ph and coins.ph. What does this have to do with anything? Well, nothing that we were just talking about. This is a new story and it's written by BTC Casey from Bitcoin Magazine. Pouch and Coins, respectively, to host the Philippines' first-ever Bitcoin island retreat in Boracay. I hope that's how you pronounce it, because I'm going to be saying the same thing every damn time. Payments processor, Pouch.ph, and Exchange, coins.ph, two leading players in the Philippines cryptocurrency landscape have announced their partnership to host the country's first ever Bitcoin Island retreat in Boracay. The event, which is slated to take place from March 27th through the 29th of 2023, will bring together a host of Bitcoin enthusiasts, thought leaders, oh God, investors and developers from around the world. The retreat aims to provide attendees with an opportunity to network, Discuss Bitcoin and interact with key players in the industry, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin magazine. Over the past year, Boracay has transformed into one of the world's largest and most livable Bitcoin communities. With over 250 locations that accept Bitcoin payments, the island is a hub for enthusiasts and merchants who are looking to take advantage of the benefits offered by the Lightning Network. Ethan Rose, the founder and CEO of Pouch.ph and Elijah Ton, the VP of operations at Coins.ph will lead the trailblazers in the Bitcoin industry. <coughs> Other speakers at the event include Jack Lee, the founder of HCM Capital and an earlier early investor in Digital Currency Group. Augustus Ilag, a cryptocurrency investor who previously led Sequoia's Capit- Capital's Southeast Asia crypto practice and crypto educator Hiro Reyes, the founder of Bitsquilla. Attendees at the retreat will also have a chance to win a Bitcoin bounty if they can find the 12 word seed phrase to a private key owned by dread pirate Nakamoto, which is placed around the island. See, that's, that is that is a scavenger hunt worth worth going on, right? The Bitcoin Island Retreat is a unique opportunity for the Philippine crypto community to come together and explore the future of Bitcoin. The retreat is expected to be a landmark event that will be remembered for years to come to reserve a spot. Interested parties can visit uh, the website, pouch.ph forward slash retweet RSVP. And that's all one word. All right, so we need more meetups. We need them everywhere. In the United States, we need them not in only you know every state of the union. We need them in every major city, and we also need smaller ones in the small villages and hamlets. I know nobody ever uses the word hamlet anymore, and I want to bring it back. Uh, We just need more of them, and we need them all throughout the year, not just like I, I would hate I would hate it if you know it's Bitcoin conference season and that ends up being you know March to July. And then for the rest of the year, there's there's just nothing going on anywhere. That would suck because if you have to cram all those things in, you know, all the people has to cram all those things into those few months. Ah. So please don't, let's, let's not allow that to happen. Let's not allow a Bitcoin conference season to actually occur. Somebody please spin one up in mid-February, like right around now. And also one in like, you know, after Christmas, whatever. Okay, now we're going to talk to the terrible mole rat, Luke Hugsloot, writing this one about our favorite naked mole rat, Brian Armstrong from Cointelegraph, getting rid of crypto staking would be a terrible path for the U.S., according to the Coinbase CEO. Yeah, well, whatever, dude. The CEO and co-founder of cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase, naked mole rat Armstrong believes that banning retail crypto staking in the United States would be a terrible move by the country's regulators. Armstrong made the comments in a February 9th Twitter thread, which has already been viewed over 2.2 million times, which means absolutely nothing to me. After noting, they've heard rumors that the United States Securities and Exchange Commission would like to get rid of crypto staking for retail customers. Ooh, I'm gonna have to highlight that. Um, quote, I hope that's not the case as I believe it'd be a terrible path for the United States if that were allowed to, have to happen. In quote, Armstrong did not share where the rumors originated, but noted that staking was a really important innovation in crypto. No, it's not, it's older than dirt. Quote, staking brings many positive improvements to the space, including scalability, increased security, and reduced carbon footprints. He's full of shit. Armstrong also referenced an October 5th blog post from crypto investment firm Paradigm, which argued that Ethereum's transition to proof of stake in its subsequent staking model does not make it a security. It doesn't have to. Ethereum already is a security. The Paradigm Post came just a few weeks after SEC Chair- Chairman Gary Gensler suggested that proof-of-stake cryptocurrencies could trigger securities laws. He made the remark September the 15th while speaking to reporters after a Senate Banking Committee hearing or meeting. Um, Armstrong also lambasted the current lack of regulatory clarity in the U.S. and yada, yada, yada. Does it actually have anything more that's even remotely fucking interesting? And no, it doesn't look like it does. So what we have here is Brian Armstrong coming to the side of the staking folks. Why? Because Brian Armstrong still doesn't understand Bitcoin. Most, a lot of people don't. Amazingly enough, there's a whole, there's, there's people, I guarantee you the following person is walking around. Somebody that knows every fucking technical aspect there is to know about Bitcoin, but doesn't know jack about legacy financial systems to the point that they would actually say, I wonder if we can get Bitcoin to be staked, because that's a good idea. Even even though they know the code, they could probably replicate it in their sleep. There's somebody out there walking around that knows more about Bitcoin than all of us put together, but still doesn't understand what it actually means. There's a difference from how something works to what it means. If you're somebody that can build a car from the ground up, including the internal combustion engine, but you still don't understand what freedom that brings an individual as far as transportation is concerned, then I I don't know what to do with that person. Brian Armstrong is every bit one of these people, except that he doesn't really understand the technical aspects of Bitcoin either. But he, what he certainly doesn't understand is the philosophy. And the philosophy here is what is important for all of us. Now, um, here it says, the Securities and Exchange Commission would like to get rid of crypto staking for retail customers. So the, here's the question. I'm retail, that's what I am. I am not industrial, I am not commercial, I am retail. And most of the people that are listening to this podcast, maybe every single one of you, you're retail too. What does retail mean? Retail means that I do my investments at, I don't know, Charles Schwab. I call my broker at Charles Schwab and I say, hey, buy me, I don't know, 100 shares of Amazon. I wouldn't be able to afford it, but bear with me. That's retail. Industrial, or rather institutional, is you got your own Bloomberg terminal, and you have every amount of ability to plug into the New York Stock Exchange and just buy massive orders. Okay, that's not retail. That's institutional. So what are we looking at here? Institutions are going to be able to stake, apparently, and again, Take it with a grain of salt because this actually hasn't been said by Gary Gensler. But when the rumor is that crypto staking for retail would go away, that means that there's a segmentation in the market. Retail's not allowed to do a lot of shit. And there's a reason we're not allowed to do a lot of shit. So my here's my thing. Either get rid of it for everybody and make the whole thing illegal as hell as far as any cryptocurrency is concerned, I'd be completely fine with that. Whatever, wouldn't, really wouldn't give a shit. Or allow retail to also stake whatever shitcoin allows them to stake. This bifurcated process keeps continuing and we always we're always wondering why why is the world so bad why is everybody so mad at each other well you keep drawing goddamn division lines between us what do you think so either get rid of all of staking or everybody can stake but this havezy shit is gonna cause problems whatever moving on this is sad news a longtime stalwart of the bitcoin Economy, industry, and history is closing shop. Local Bitcoins is shutting down, citing market conditions. BTC Casey brings us the obituary from Bitcoin Magazine. Local Bitcoins has announced that the exchange will be closed for service by the end of February. That's this month. The long time Bitcoin trading service was the first peer to peer transaction platform for many Bitcoiners. Launched in June of 2012, the exchange is one of the oldest entities in Bitcoin, establishing itself as a primary P2P layer in its heyday with over $100 million of weekly trading volume of peer-to-peer transactions. Quote, Originally, LocalBitcoins was established to bring Bitcoin everywhere and drive global financial inclusion, the announcement reads. Quote, We have honored that mission for over 10 years and we are proud of what we have achieved together with all of you our loyal community end quote the announcement cites challenges during the ongoing very cold crypto winter as reasoning for the shutdown the exchange has informed customers that they should withdraw their funds from local bitcoins as well as withdrawing their bitcoin from the local bitcoins wallet it notes that customers will have 12 months to complete this process although they encourage users to do it sooner and I would do it as fast as humanly possible notably the shutdown has arrived just as P2P bitcoin merchants and individual sellers have come under heavy scrutiny from US regula- regulatory authorities while there's no mention of this in the announcement it could be assumed that these recent actions have led to decreased volume on platforms like local bitcoins despite these pressures Alternatives such as RoboSats and BISC still function for Bitcoiners seeking to acquire Bitcoin via P2P transactions. All right, if anybody is listening to this that is either part of local Bitcoins, as in like, I doubt one of the founders is going to be listening to the show, but if so, or or if any of my listeners out there knows of somebody who knows one of these guys, Would you please encourage them to release the name and trademark and any outstate or any copyrights at all? Everything that has to do with the legal name, local bitcoins, and reforge that as an open source trademark that anybody can use. And why do I say that? Because I get the feeling there's somebody out there that says, fuck this. I'll do local bitcoins but that name is 10 years old, guys. It's 10 years old. And I would, you know, I just, I think it would be, I think it would be better for, for, the, you know, well, for the industry if we didn't lose local Bitcoins. And there was, if you're gonna close it anyway, instead of trying to make a buck off of it, clear all your shit out, make sure all your, your customers are, are solid, and then give the the name local bitcoins trademark it and then release that trademark and make a statement somewhere. I don't know. Put, fuck it, inscribe it on a goddamn Satoshi and put it on the blockchain as an NFT that says anybody can use this name, we will not sue. That would be awesome. That would be so awesome. But we're uh, needing to talk about Ruskies today. The Russian government, Russia, them damn Ruskies. Russian government subsidizes crypto mining facility in Siberia. Good place to have it, dude. Those things run hot. David Attlee, Coin Cointelegraph. Crypto mining industry has been faced with moratoriums in some parts of the United States and Canada in recent months. Now, Russia provides tax incentives for those who want to invest in crypto mining. With the government's direct support, the new $12 million crypto mining center will open in East Siberia. Okay, pausing. As a reminder, I can't remember the name of the country offhand. It wasn't Ukraine. Who the hell was it? When China, when the China mining ban happened, and the neighboring country to the northwest of China said, Come on down, we'll give you tax breaks, we'll cut you deals, blah, blah, blah. A year later, that country pulled the plug on all the miners. Now, what tax breaks? Beware, dude. Russia will do the same shit. According to local media, the state-owned Corporation for the Development of the Far East announced the launch of the crypto mining center in Buryatia, a republic in East Siberia and part of the Russian Federation. The facility will process or possess 30,000 mining machines, hire 100 workers, and consume 100 megawatts from the power grid. It will open in the first half of 2023 and be owned and run by BitRiver, Russia's largest crypto mining co-location service provider. The mining center will enjoy a broad set of incentives from zero land and property taxes to a lowered income tax rate. The electricity prices will be cut by half for the mining operator. They're going to hose you, dude. The government support uh, can be explained by the legal status of Buryatia which is a territory of advanced development, a special economic zone incentivized to attract national and foreign investments. The corporation for the development of the Far East is a subsidiary of the Ministry of the Development of the Far East and Arctic and specializes in supporting investment projects. Since the outbreak of the war in Ukraine and the financial sanctions that followed it, the Russian government has reversed its anti-crypto position, particularly on mining. In July of 2022, State-owned gas giant Gazprom Neft entered into a partnership with BitRiver to provide it with electricity generated from petroleum gas. As part of the collaboration, BitRiver started developing a digital infrastructure in the oil fields where Gazprom provides flare gas for crypto mining facilities. Uh, yeah, I, if you're planning on doing this, here's how you do this and survive when they pull the plug on your ass. Assume they already pulled the plug on your ass and calculate how much money you're going to have made under normal tax rates, normal energy prices, and the whole, the whole ball of wax. What would it normally cost you in Russia before these tax breaks? Calculate how to survive that and you will survive when Putin or whoever finally pulls the plug and says, what tax breaks? because that's probably going to happen. Last one up for the day. Satoshi era Bitcoin address moves $9.6 million in BTC after being dormant for 11 years. Andrew Thorvalis, Decrypt.co, an ancient BTC address that has not transacted in over a decade, came back to life on Wednesday, and the profits are something to behold. Since October the 1st of 2012, The following address held 412.12 BTC accumulated across just four transactions altogether. That balance was worth $8 at the time. Oh, my God. No coins went in or out of that wallet until yesterday, February the 8th when all but a sliver was emptied from the wallet at $23,000 apiece, But today's prices, the move coins represents $9.6 million in value, which is a measly 120, what, 120 million percent profit. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> While sizable Bitcoin trades occur daily, it's not often that coins that see the old or that uh, do that again, While sizable Bitcoin trades occur daily, it's not often that coins that old see the light of day ever again, as on-chain analytics provider Glassnode notes, dormant coins become increasingly unlikely to be spent after a 155-day holding period and are thus considered a less liquid portion of the supply. When old coins are being spent more frequently, it may suggest a change in the conviction to hold that asset, often sparked by periods of market volatility. However, Glassnode's newsletter from last month showed that the number of coins being held long-term is growing at a rate of 100,000 per month despite short-term holders taking the opportunity to profit from the asset's recent rally. In March 2022, an even older wallet holding 489 Bitcoin dumped holdings dating back to October of 2010 when Bitcoin's price was just 19 cents. That's right, 19 United States pennies per Bitcoin in October of 2010. That was many months before Bitcoin's pseudonymous creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, had left the project. Satoshi is suspected of holding as much as 5% of Bitcoin's entire supply due to mining in the network's early days, but many don't believe those coins will ever move again. Bitcoin developer Luke Dash Jr. says that nobody technically knows whether Satoshi has ever touched those coins or if he still interacts with them today. However, if he had to guess, the lack of any obvious movement likely means that the creator is already dead. Quote, if he isn't dead, why would he allow frauds to masquerade as him unchallenged? It would be trivial for him to prove them liars with the PGP or Bitcoin signature he told Decrypt via Twitter. Quote, would he really hoard his stash while development lacks funding? End quote. Further quote, if not dead, he at least must have lost the keys, Luke Dash Jr. concluded. Uh, you know, I'm kind of going to disagree with Luke on one of these points. Um, let's see. If he isn't dead, why would he allow frauds to masquerade as him unchallenged? It would be trivial for him to prove them liars with the PGP or Bitcoin signature. Yes, he, he's not wrong there. But somehow or another, I get the feeling that if Satoshi is alive, that Satoshi figures one of two things, if not both. One, ain't worth his time. B, flashes a signal that he's still alive. What does the market do then? How does that affect? Think about it. Think about what would happen. We know we know that like the Genesis block coins can't be moved, but some of the blocks after that, and I won't get into why, some of the blocks after that, uh, that we know went into Satoshi's wallet. Um, we know it's his. And after a while, there was like no activity on those wallets. Sure, he was he was moving them around. He had to pay Pal Finney something. He had to, you know, make that transaction and he made it to Hal Finney. That was the first one that that I know about. So he was moving coins at one point, but then at another point he stopped and haven't moved since. And we know it's his wallet or Satoshi, him, her, they, whatever, doesn't matter. So now it's 2023. And all of a sudden we get a signed message from one of the wallets of Satoshi and it's not a rumor and it's not a, a, you know, somehow or another somehow or another, we know it's, it's gotta be him. You know, we've had tricksters do shit like, you know, uh, like uh, Satoshi's alive. I can tell because I got an email from his old whatever account. That's, I don't buy that shit. The only one that I'll even remotely consider is signing a, a message on Bitcoin with his private keys. That's it. That's the only, and even then I'm like, honestly, all I can prove is that the person that has that private key signed a message, and I don't know who that is. Most likely, Satoshi. But think about the market reaction. And I'm not even talking about USD price. What happens to volume, to the velocity of Bitcoin flying around, if all of a sudden, it's known without a shadow of a doubt that Satoshi must have have signed this message and it dropped today? I get the feeling that Satoshi is smarter than that. If Satoshi is still alive, I think Satoshi is much smarter than that. And that that's why there's no defensive, there's no coming in defense against somebody like Craig Wright. First of all, why? I mean, I I wish there, much of me wishes that it kind of would happen, but you got to balance the good out. That's just one guy. He's a dick and we all know it. There's, you don't, I don't need somebody to sign a fucking message that says Craig Wright is a dick from Satoshi's wallet for me to think, oh, well, since Satoshi said it, well, he must be a dick. Now I, my, my, I've changed my mind on Craig Wright. No, nobody's changed. Everybody understands he's a dick. I don't need Satoshi to tell me that or that he's not the owner of those wallets or that he didn't invent Bitcoin. I, I don't need that. We know that. What's the effect of signing, of Satoshi signing a message today. I don't know what the full effect is, but I guarantee you it's probably not what you'd think. It would be a goddamn media circus for one, but how would Bitcoiners react? Well, me, I'm, just, I'm gonna buy Bitcoin, I'm gonna hold Bitcoin, but that's me. I've been through a lot of this shit. What does Michael Saylor do? Uh, What does anybody holding, you know, what does Elon Musk do with his, you know, remaining pittance of a, you know, Bitcoin treasury? Nobody knows. See, that's the point. You don't just go around signing mess. Clearly, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime event. All right, Bitcoin isn't replicatable. There's nothing like it. The world's never seen anything like this. So when I say you don't go, just go around being the creator of Bitcoin and signing, you know, a message from one of the, like the second block ever mined, Right? Cause that sounds like this happens all the time. It, it doesn't, this is once in a lifetime. You're here for it, by the way, if you haven't recognized it once in a lifetime, once in possibly an epoch. You know, an epoch being several thousand years. (laughs) I'm just saying, man, we're in an epic place and we are living through the epicness of it all. Why waste the fucking time to sign a message and possibly damage that which you love and that which you poured your heart and soul in and that which you walked away from to prove that Craig Wright isn't you? That's where I think Luke gets it wrong. I don't think he's thinking clearly about the ramifications of what happens versus what can be gained. There's the risk reward calculation on that is so far weighted to risk rather than reward. Only a complete moron would do that. Pretty sure Satoshi Nakamoto is not a complete moron. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Dad says, jokes time. Today, I saw someone waving and I wasn't sure whether they were waving at me or at somebody behind me. In other news, I was fired from my lifeguard job. That's a good bad dad joke. Okay, I can confirm that Twitter seems to be working. Uh, cause that's where dad, you know, yeah, I hate, now I hate Twitter. I can't stand it, but that's where dad says jokes is. And I love dad says jokes. So at dad says jokes, uh, if you're interested in, in, uh, cringing a little bit more, uh, however, I have noticed, even though, yes, I'm on, yeah, you know, I'm signed in as, as, uh, my old account at ghost of Nunya, my even older account from 2011 was, uh, B E N N D seven, seven, but that's another story altogether. Um, but I can't tweet. I don't have any of my followers, but I can see like when I go to dad, uh, uh, basically, uh, twitter.com forward slash dad says jokes. Okay. That's how I get to that profile. Um, there's a shit ton of ads in here, man. I mean, a absolute promoted tweet from WSJ, a uh, promoted tweet from, oh God, lapo Shop. Uh, let's see here. Oh God, what else? There's a, suggestions on who to follow. There's another promoted tweet from Wine Texts. Uh, it's just, I mean, it goes on and on. I've never seen this much ad, this many ads and suggestions and all kinds of stuff that isn't tweeted or retweeted by Dad Says Jokes in his profile as I look at it. This is getting bad for, for Twitter. Now, here's what I'm going to leave you with today is is the following thought. Bitcoin had 2008's financial collapse. Noster has Twitter's eventual collapse, remember? So <clears throat> Bitcoin came out, but when it came out, really nobody knew what the hell was going on. We're in the midst of the collapse, you know, where it's going to take, you know, a few years to to, you know, get rid of all the garbage and we never really did we just kind of kicked the can down the road but things you know as far as the media was telling you we got it got better right it got better everything was fine just you know interest rates at fucking zero and shit like that looking like japan for the last 40 years nothing to worry about everything's fine even though it wasn't but nobody really the most of the world's population hadn't heard shit about bitcoin at that time when that housing bubble popped in 2008, you know, we had Bitcoin cause it was there in October, you know, it, that whole thing was popping and had already popped and was, but it was still deflating at the time and Bitcoin comes on the scene and nobody heard about it except a very few select people that were on that, uh, cryptography mailing list. And it, Somebody is, always, you know, there's always somebody that's going to say, nobody's lucky in Bitcoin. I'm going to say, well, these guys kind of were because, (laughs) because, uh, well, the people that understood what it meant, but still there was only one platform that this was released to. They didn't start writing magazine articles about this shit until way, 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 way later. I didn't find out about this until 2014. And it wasn't until the summer, end of the summer of 2015, that I got into Bitcoin. By 2015, the fat lady had already sung when where 2008 is concerned. So what am I? Why am I comparing this to Nostr versus Twitter? Same thing. Nostr has been around for two years. Twitter was going down the tubes. Nobody really understood because it was still working for the media at that time. They were telling us. We had to mask, we had to get our boosters, we had to do all this. If you spoke out against it, even if you were you know, a well-known virologist or the creator of the mRNA vaccine technology and all, whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. We, the the lucky few that were on that platform, we saw what that it was on fire, that it was burning down and more gas kept getting put on it. And then, and then Elon buys the son of a bitch. And right after that, we had the Domus client in test flight on iOS. Eh? See where I'm going with this? And now with Twitter's, you know, slight outage yesterday and the fact that they're capping, you know, four pictures a day, maybe a, a single GIF or one movie. I can't remember exactly what it was. You can't have more than 20 tweets. It seems like this, this is all confirmed. Of course, you got to be a blue check, right? You got to pay them $8 a month i i I don't see it. I just don't see it happening when we've got something like Noster waiting in the wings. So, as one burns down, another one rises up, we call this the Phoenix. Out of the ashes of what came before is born a new version. And Bitcoin came out of the ashes of the two thousand and eight legacy financial consortium collapse because they. Honestly, what happened is that they never really recovered. We were just told that they were recovered. Same thing for Twitter. Twitter's burned, I mean, I want it to burn to complete ash so that something else can rise in its place. And guess what? Nostra's not going to always be free. And you're gonna go, well, then it's gonna go the same route as Twitter. No, I don't think so. Because there's there's a, a method to my madness when I say that Nostra's not gonna be free. Noster will always be free. If you want to put up with the spam, I've, I have bought for I think I think I've, I'm in now for maybe 12,000 Satoshi's total to buy uh, five private relays, or the usage of five private relays. They're not mine. I didn't actually buy them, but I'm, I'm just you see what I'm saying. And my feed in Global on Noster as long as I'm using a client that can read, you know, and I have uh, the ability to put in which relays that I'm on has cleaned up substantially. My, you know, my my user experience is much, much better. And one of these days, 12,000 sats, hopefully by the time I'm not, I'm still alive, would be like $12,000. But I am more than happy to do that right now but there's always going to be somebody running their own relay. I encourage both. I want to run my own relay on my Node BTC alongside my core BTC core code, my LND, Lightning Node core software. And then right next to that, I want a button that says Nostr. And I, I put a note out about that on Nostr the other day. But that's what I want. And, and actually, I want four. I want the integration of Bitcoin and Lightning Network. It's already integrated. But those two fully integrated with Nostr. And all three of that, all three of those fully integrated with Tor. But not at the code level, at one level up. So that somehow or another, we've got a layer where BTC can use the same language to talk to Lightning Network and Tor and Nostr. Now, I'm not also not suggesting that your private key for Bitcoin be used to generate public keys for NOSTER. I'm not, somebody asked me that. I think that that's a bad idea. I think it'd be interesting if we could do it. And I think we probably can, because it's, you know, same tech to generate the, the key pairs for NOSTER as it is for Bitcoin. But I just, I would stay away from that. Because to sign anything on NOSTER, you have to input your private key. Do you feel comfortable putting in your private key for your Bitcoin wallet? so that you can sign a message on Noster. If you feel comfortable, give, just do me a favor and send me all of your Bitcoin and I'll hold it for you, okay? Just because that's a bad, bad, bad thing. It's bad enough managing private keys that were generated for Noster by Noster, right? Completely different thing to sign shit with your private key that also holds the keys to your wealth. Don't do that. Please, 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 please. Even if somebody figures out how to do it, please don't. Please, <laughs> for the love of God. Uh, but I want that integration. I I think that that those four pillars, Tor, Noster, Lightning Network, and Bitcoin, you put all that shit together, and then all of a sudden, Keat comes in with hole punch, and... Um, John Carvalho's project, Slash Tags, comes in and is able to integrate at a, at a different, maybe even at the same, at that same fabric layer where BTC, LN, and Noster, Antor are talking to each other in a common tongue. And they could actually learn that language and speak that same common tongue. Guys, there's nothing that anybody can do governmental wise, except quote unquote, shut down the internet. And then we've got radio. Because everything that we have been doing we never talk about. We're keeping everything small. We're trying as hard as we can to make sure that blocks in the Bitcoin blockchain are as small as can be. That's why we don't have terabyte level blocks. We still have the chance to be able to transmit over radio block information. It would suck. Yes, I get it. It would be a problem, but it can be done and if they shut down the world's internet you want to watch cities and countries burn to the ground well that's the way you get cities and countries to burn to the ground i'm not saying that it will happen i'm just saying that. It's, i mean keat messages are small Nostr messages the protocol in it, it it's insane it refuses to be big fiat jeff or joff made it small it made the protocol lightweight Guys, we're gonna be able to do shit even under the worst possible circumstances that you can imagine. And I'm really, really excited about the possibility that that's in every single one of our back pockets. If you haven't figured out how any of this stuff works, start learning. For those of us that have been learning, never stop learning. And I will see you on the other side.